Bless the Lord. Luke chapter 24. Bit of a lengthy reading. <clears throat> Beginning to read at verse 13. Verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all those things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But he trusted, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found out his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. They said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. We'll stop there. Keep your Bible open there at that chapter. We will be referring extensively to it throughout the meeting and the message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everyone you've brought this evening. And we ask you, Lord, you'd bless them, encourage them, Maybe, Lord, even their hearts are feeling down, that you'd strengthen them and lift them up. And, Father, that you would just meet them at the point of their need. And we think of all those, Lord, who are away tonight. All of those who are maybe still on holidays and some who are unwell, visiting loved ones tonight. We're asking you, Lord, that you would bless them and encourage them until they gather together to our great Shiloh, in the following weeks that lie ahead. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your Son. And Father, we ask you that you take your own word now and strengthen us with it. And according to your word, may it be so done in our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. You know, Luke 24, especially uh, this portion that we read, it's a popular, well-known Bible narrative. And if you were just to mention the two on the road to Emmaus or the story of the two on the road to Emmaus, the Bible student or the Bible reader will know exactly what you're speaking of, know what it entails. 
And I'll be able to tell you how this stranger comes alongside who are feeling low, feeling despondent and down. And how he reveals himself in the scriptures and how he reveals himself through the breaking of bread and they recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. I've entitled this message tonight, The Seven Mile Study and the Seven Mile Sprint. The Seven Mile Study and the Seven Mile Sprint. And as we look through this, you'll see how the two on this road are walking with lead boots. They may have sandals on, but they're like lead boots. They're walking with heavy hearts. They're walking with hands trailing the ground, as it were. Unable to lift them up, as it were, spiritually to praise the Lord. For they thought the one in whom they had rested everything in had went to the tomb and someone maybe had stolen his body. Couldn't understand it. Couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't take it in. And now they've left Jerusalem and they're heading to Emmaus. Emmaus was a a little place, in fact, as far as I know up till this very moment, they uh, still are not sure exactly where Emmaus is. They haven't found it. But it is reckoned, according to the scriptures, three score furlongs, 60 furlongs is around seven to seven and a half miles. So they're going on a track for seven miles approximately. And on that seven miles, a wonderful occurrence happens, as we know from our reading and from the story. In this portion of God's word that we've read, if you were to take it to someone and say, we want you to speak on the resurrection of Christ. Many do not come to Luke 24 and speak on the two on the road to Emmaus. But they go to maybe 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, how that Christ died for our sin and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And they would take an exposition of that and go into that whole chapter and tell you how it's important to, to remember the physical bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which it is. But not too many want to come to Luke 24 and start to talk about the resurrection of the Master after his passion dying in Calvary's tree. And so not many deal with it. In fact, if you read this portion, and we'll not go into it, it'll take too long, speaks of the life of Christ, the miraculous life of Christ. Look at it briefly with me just for a a few moments here. Look at the chapter and let your eye run down to where they're starting to speak about this wonderful uh, Savior. Listen to what it says in verse 19. When he's asked what things had happened And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was, notice, a prophet. See, they see Christ as a prophet here. And it's essential for someone to be saved, see Christ as a prophet, yea, more than a prophet, but see him as the prophet of God, that is, God himself in flesh. But they said he was a prophet. Notice what else they say about him. He was mighty indeed. And word before God and all the people. Hear the miraculous life of Christ when he's healing the sick and he's raising the dead and causing the blind to see and the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the lepers are cleansed, demons are cast out. All of these things were seen and done in public by the hands, the word and the ministry, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these people on the road to Emmaus with many others had placed her all in all and her everything on this man, the Lord Jesus. Now suddenly it seems as if this mighty prophet, this one with the word of God, this miraculous wonder-working savior that he said he was, this one who was to be redeemer of Israel has been led in a tomb, he's dead, and now someone seems to have stolen his body or taken it, it's not there. There's reports that he's resurrected. But now they're leaving Jerusalem and walking to the road to Emmaus. Talking about it, thinking about it, but they're sad over it. In other words, they're down. They're feeling really down. You know, when we look at this, we can see also not only the death and the resurrection, it stands out all through this, but we can also see something else. That when they said, but we trusted it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, they're speaking of a messianic prophecy here. In other words, now they're seeing he's Christ. Now they're seeing that he must be from God. 
For no man can do these things, said Nicodemus in John chapter 3, except God be with him. And if he's Messiah, Redeemer, then he must be divine. But suddenly, all things are changing in their minds. All their hopes and their ambitions and their dreams and their plans seem to be coming to naught because Christ seemingly has failed and let them badly down. You know, this narrative, they say the two on the road to a mess, we're told one of them is called Cleopas. And some say it's his wife that is with Cleopas. Now, we don't know that. Some believe that. Others say it's actually Luke himself that is there. I find that hard to believe too. But nevertheless, there are two of them. They're speaking of these things and their hearts, as we would say, their heart is in their boots. Have you ever had an experience like that? Your heart is in your boots. You're walking with lead boots every day. You're trusting Christ and you're looking for the help. You're looking for the breakthrough. You're looking for the encouragement. You're looking for the strength. You're looking for the uplift. You're watching for the miracle. You're looking for the one you've put your all in all in and your hope in. And suddenly you seem as though, where is he? He's nowhere to be found as though he's been taken away from you. This message is for you tonight. Now we can't do the seven mile Bible study. But what we can do is show you how Christ lifted these two people and energized them to the point where they were able to get up and run, as it were, hurriedly travel anyhow, seven miles back to Jerusalem with the good news of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about the two on the road to Emmaus, but to be honest and to be true to ourselves, this story isn't really about the two on the road to Emmaus. It's not really about Cleopas and his wife or Cleopas and Luke or whoever they are. It's not about the two that are down and despondent. It shows you them and it shows you them to help you and I tonight in our own humanity and our faith and our walk with Christ. And it helps us in that sense, the humanness of it. But it's not about those two. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about who he is. It's about his faithfulness. It's about his glory. It's about his great love. It's about him. In fact, if you were to go to Luke's other book that he had written, which is the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, as, we, we, as you read that, we see the, the title of, I'm sure, it's on almost every Bible, depends on what you're reading. But if I turn mine over here to the book of Acts, this is what it says, the Acts of the Apostles. Big, big letters at the top of the first page, the Acts of the Apostles. Now we know what that means, that it is the Acts of the, the Apostles when they laid hands in the sick and when they prayed and things happened, when the anointing came upon them and when Peter's shadow cast over some were healed, when Paul sent out uh, aprons that were anointed with oil and the sick were healed and, and, and even people were raised up and blessed and encouraged and people were saved and baptized, the Acts of the Apostles. But really if we take what old uh, Spurgeon had said about this book, it shouldn't be called the Acts of the Apostles. Really, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Ghost. The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Or even the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And what we do is we seem and tend to fix our eyes and our minds on the man, on the Apostle. You know, you and I, we are to mark the perfect man and behold the upright as an example of our faith and to, to attain to walk better in our lives before Christ. And Paul says, be ye followers of me as I am also of Christ. In other words, don't follow Paul, but how Paul lives his life before Christ, he says, emulate that in yours. That's what he's saying. Emulate that in yours. Don't follow Paul, but follow Christ. And sometimes we hold the man up. We hold the preacher up. We hold the pastor up. We, we hold the, the man up who, who's standing on the big platform. And as if he is some kind of wonder-working miracle worker, when all the time, all he has is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And outside of that, outside of that anointing, at the best, he's only a man. She's only a woman. 
Here the idea in the book of Acts is, if you take the Holy Spirit out of the book of Acts, you know what you have? You have nothing. You have nothing. You have no acts. You have no miracles. I mean, I, I love to read about George Jeffries. Love reading about his ministry, his teaching, his, his uh, campaigns, or he was called the reformer and the revivalist. I love reading about it. I love seeing the photographs when he packed the Albert Hall and, and, the, and the Ulster Hall and all of those great venues. I love hearing about how people were saved and baptized in the Spirit. And I love hearing about how people were healed. I love hearing about John Alexander dying before the Pentecostal outpouring. That is the latter day which you and I are in. And I, I, I love, I've been to his house. I've seen uh, things that he's done. I've seen the, the works of, of his hands. But it was the Holy Ghost through John Alexander Dye, John G. Lake and his ministry. And, and I love to read about all those wonderful things that happened. Smith Wigglesworth and on and on and on. And it's a wonderful thing for you and I to chase after, to pursue, to try to attain to, that we may press in and move on the kingdom of God. But one thing, brother and sister, we must be careful of is why we respect them, we do not lift them up. Christ and Christ alone. He is the only one we lift. You see, here we have the apostles are at the most, they're just men. And really, the book of Acts should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Here's what I've written just as I was writing this. I just sat down with my my notepad and my pen and I just started writing when I wrote this. We know that the real title should be the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. As it shows the humanity of the apostles and the inability of the apostles because of their humanity. In other words, if there was no Holy Ghost, there would be no apostle. There would be no miraculous sign, gift, and wonder ministry. Without him, there is nothing. There's no conviction of sin. There's no salvation to be had. There's no miraculous life. But, this is what I wrote, but centralized in it all and through it all, the life of it all and the power of it all is the infilling of the apostles and the outworking of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. It is the operation of God in the life of depraved humanity which regenerates, illuminates and animates the degenerate heart of mankind to see the Christ of God and to claim him as Redeemer, Savior, Lord, Master, and King. It also imparts the human spirit with faith to believe and endues the soul with love to endure, resulting in the glorification of the Son of God. That's what the Holy Spirit's ministry is, to glorify the Son of God. To lift him up. And the book of Acts, the other book which Luke had written, would mean nothing without the Holy Spirit. It is that impartation of the Spirit that touches our human spirit and makes us alive unto God. And it is the impartation of the Spirit which endues our soul with love to endure. You see, if you don't have the Holy Ghost in your life, you don't have love to endure. That's why we need to seek God's Spirit. Lord, we need more of you in our meeting. We need more of you in our life. We need more of you when I'm reading. Take the scales from off our eyes and let us see the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because outside of the Holy Ghost, you and I are depraved, 
Outside of the working of the Holy Ghost, you and I are hopeless and we are lifeless. But you can praise him tonight because tonight we are told in the word of God that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the Lord. I change not, he says, and he is God with whom there is no variableness and neither shadow of turning. The God who wrought the miracles in Christ's hands and the same God who wrought the miracles in the apostles' hands and the same God who came and endured the prophets with power And the same God who opened the Red Sea. And the same God who tore down Jericho's walls. And the same God who came in cloven tongues like as a fire and sat on the heads of 120 in the upper room that day is the same Holy Spirit of God who is in this meeting tonight. He has never changed. He is the one and the self same God. And that's what happened to the early church and the apostles. And that's what happened here. And Luke 24, to the two on the road to Emmaus. You see, this was before the day of Pentecost. And Christ was appearing here and he was appearing there, disappearing and going somewhere else. But he knew that his ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit would be sent. And the Holy Spirit would come upon those who were given to Christ. Now you think about that. From before the foundation of the world, you were given to Christ. Here we have in Luke 24, these two Walking on the road to Emmaus, as I said, it's not centered on them, but centered on the one who joins them. Centered on a loving Lord, centered on a faithful friend, centered on a trustworthy testator, a promise keeper, a covenant maker, and a resurrected risen redeemer. Can you see them walking along? And that same day we're told they leave Jerusalem and they start walking to Emmaus. I wondered where the stop start, stop starters are talking about this. I wondered where the shuffling along with heavy hearts and lead boots for sandals and, and they're kicking the dust of the, of the road as they're walking up and they're, what has happened? We've put our all into this man. He had my heart. I trusted him. A stranger draws near, comes right up alongside of them. Here Christ represents the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, one called alongside to help. This was him prefiguring the outpouring who would open our eyes to the wonderful truths of Scripture. This is him prefiguring because he gives the Bible study, the seven mile study. And as he's doing it, he's opening their eyes to the scriptures. And he's imparting and imputing everything they need for the journey. We sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. And this stranger comes along to two hearts in desperate need. And as Christ veiled from their vision, he starts to talk to them. He flies to our aid. He comes to our rescue. He lifts us up from our despair. He encourages our hearts. He strengthens our spirits. And he fortifies our resolve, especially in our greatest times of need when none others can help. Listen to what Isaiah 40 and verse 29 says. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that hath no might, he increaseth strength. Do you need your strength increased tonight? 
Are you saying, Lord, I'm weak in faith, I'm weak in heart? Maybe you're weak in body. I need a touch in a special way, Lord. Well, you know, he comes alongside and he says, I want to reveal more of me to you in order to strengthen you. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says again in Isaiah 61. We'll not go through the first couple of verses for time's sake, but in Isaiah 61, it starts off, for the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings of the gospel. But in verse 3, notice what it says. And this is 700 years before the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. This is 700 years before uh, the baby came forth from Mary. And speaking of him, and at 30 years of age, he comes out of the wilderness experience after being tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. He comes out, we're told, listen, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he go, he's driven in by the Spirit after his baptism. He's tempted by the devil and he comes out after speaking the word to the devil and defeating him. That's how we win. We, we speak the word. We tell him our testimony. We speak God's word into the ether that the devil will hear the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he done the same. He comes out in the power of the Holy Ghost. He goes into a synagogue where totally takes a book. It means he, he takes the scroll of the attendant and he rolls it out. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And he rolls it out to where, there's no chapters and verse there, but to where we would have chapter 61. And if you read Luke chapter 4 when you go home, you'll read that he starts reading out Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach, he says. The anointing of God was on him. He starts reading. We tell tale lying there, doing this from memory. I think it's a, I can't remember the, the verse it is, but in the end of the prophet, it says that he had come to preach. If you read on down a few verses in Luke chapter 4, the Lord stops it. Uh, the prophet says uh, that to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And he doesn't. He doesn't mention the last line. He stops the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of grace, the time of grace that you and I are living in. Because the day of vengeance of God is, it's close, but it's not here yet. Because Christ came to pour out his grace upon us, to die for us at Calvary's cross, to shed his precious blood that we'd be forgiven, that we'd be saved, that we'd be redeemed. It was all to do with grace. He stopped at that bit. Roll up the scroll and give it back. But listen to what it says in Isaiah 61 and 3. The Lord said he would come to appoint unto them that morning Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. And a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Here we have him coming alongside the two on the road to a mess. Doing exactly as the prophet had prophesied of. The one who spoke to Isaiah and gave him the anointed word. The one who took the prophet up and carried him along. Or it gives the idea he bore him along. The prophet was caught up in the Holy Ghost. Borne along with the spirit as he had written. The one who gave it is the one who became flesh. Is the one who came into the synagogue and read it out. Now he's the one who went to the cross and went to the tomb and has risen from the dead and walks a seven-mile walk along with two who are defeated and dying. He's marvelous. He's wonderful. The two in the road to a mess were downcast, despondent. They were disillusioned and demoralized, defeated, dejected, devastated. They were depressed. It's seven miles to go to get out of the road, basically. See the word a mess, by the way. There's a couple of meanings for it. If you look it up, one of the main meanings means hot spring or warm baths. Hot spring or warm baths. Now, if you were to go to the town of Bath in England near Wales there, 
I've been there. I don't know if you've been there. It's the Roman baths. They used to travel right across Europe from all parts of it to get into these warm baths, believing they had healing properties and qualities in them. And then they went to... Uh, there was a big altar there. You can see so, some of the remnants of it still where they worshipped uh, uh, the goddess uh, Minerva Silas or Silas Minerva. So they were getting spiritual and physical healing, they thought. See? And, and the idea is that these two either thought we need some spiritual and physical healing. Let's go out to Emmaus. Or maybe it was just a luxury time. They'd given up and let's go back and lie on our, our luxury laurels. But here's what I had written too. It says, how do men prefer? How do men desire the hot spring to the resurrection power of Christ? See, what you and I have is the real thing. This word that we have in front of us This Holy Spirit who is God himself in our midst. This wonderful Savior and blessed Redeemer that we have is the real deal. He is the real thing. And sometimes we want to go and try other things and leave Christ behind. Because we'll become despondent and downcast and we'll we'll just chase after the luxury. When there's resurrection power in us. Are you trying to tell me there's resurrection power in us? Absolutely. The Bible tells us that the same spirit which raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same power dwells in every blood-washed believer, every blood-washed saint of God. So it means hot springs, and here they're going for whatever reason they're going. It's believed that maybe even they owned, or one of them owned a house there, and that's where they came from. If being so, listen to this. I tried to find other meanings, but a mess is a elusive little name. But I have a book I pulled out of my study, and it's called John Ritchie's book. It's written by a man called John Ritchie, and it's called Scripture Proper Names. And he tells us that a mess means despised or obscure people. Despised or obscure people. I don't know how they get those two different names. Don't ask me how. But if it be so, sometimes we have dual names for places and things in Scripture. And if it be so, was it, is it possible that at one point in time that those who were despised and in obscurity were starting to come out, as it were, from that life of devastation and the doldrums and being brought to life in Christ. And now suddenly it's as if he's let them go and they're falling back into that place again. Have you came alive in Christ? You're excited by him. Passionate about him. In love with him. Serving him. Following him. Chasing after him, seeking his face. Oh, he missed, made you feel ten feet tall. Like David said, for by thee have I run through a troop. By my God have I leaped over a wall. Maybe at one point you said, he maketh my feet like hinds feet. Maybe that was your experience in Christ at one time. And suddenly you feel a little downcast in it all. And weakened, and you start slipping back to your own personal mess. Maybe you're on that way. Uh, the first love fire in your heart has dimmed to a smoldering ember, a smoking flex. If that's you tonight, you're in the right place. You're in the right place because. Here we're told that Jesus comes alongside, fulfilling as it were that scripture. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Here was a bruised reed, here was a smoking flax, too, on the road to a mess, and Christ himself comes alongside and breathes on them the breath of life. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. He breathes the scriptures over them. Breathes the word of God over them. By the time we read our story, the two of them are up doing their seven mile sprint back to Jerusalem. It's possible for you tonight. It's possible for you to be touched by the power of God. He'll strengthen you. If you're on your road to Emmaus and you feel the despised or downcast or despondent or disillusioned or demoralized, you're in defeat, you're dejected or you're devastated or depressed, Jesus is here. We're told this, Jesus himself. Why did he not send an angel? Why did he not send an angelic being? I'll tell you why. Because his love for his children cost too great a price to redeem them. And he went as the good shepherd to find them. He had paid a heavy price. He's brought you here tonight, brother and sister, even if you're weak, to say to you, I love you. Notice this. I'll have to rush on. Notice this. Luke 24, verse 13 says, Behold, two of them went that same day into a village, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score or furlongs. Now, notice this. I find this really strange. This hit me. Uh, it hit me like a, a ton of bricks. It hit me like a freight train. That same day, and that stuck in my mind. And I'm looking at the two in the road to a mess, and I'm saying, Lord, what were they thinking of? What gets into people's minds that they would, that same day, what same day? Same day as what? Tell you the same day. The same day when there was an empty tomb. The same day when the stone was rolled away. The same day when the women came back with a good report. The Lord is risen indeed. The same day when there's angelic visitation. Notice that. The same day as angelic visitation and even the very rocks would rent when the very stone was rolled away. The same day when the Romans could not hold him in the grave. The same day when Peter and John went and Peter runs straight into the tomb to find the grave clothes folded neatly with the head and the feet were. They tell us the story in Luke 24. They're talking to Christ who is, who is hidden from their eyes. They, they're saying, you know, there was angels and the women and the, and all, and he was, he was taken from the tomb. Now they're given all of this information and they don't know what to do with it all. And the idea is, Lord, I believe, I believe Jesus has risen indeed. And they get excited about it. No. Well, they didn't. Tell you what they did. They saw. They believed. They followed. They acted on. And they were led by their negative view of all that was happening around them. They believed on the negative view. Oh, how often indeed... Do you and I, brothers and sisters, believe in the negative instead of trusting Christ and taking him at his word? They looked at all the negative things. Oh, he's missing. Somebody must have stolen him. Oh, he's missing. We don't know how he got out. Angels, ah. Who believes in angel ministry? Who believes in this and who believes in that? And you know the thing is, All along, Christ had told them about it. 
before it happened, Christ had told them about it. He had said to them this was going to happen. That same day that all this happens, these two decide to leave Jerusalem and go down into depression. They decide to leave and go down to a mess. They decide to either A, go to worldly pleasure, their hot spring or bath, or try an alternative religion. Rather than rest totally in Christ. Or else, they went to the place of backsliddenness. And let their love burn cold which was once burning hot for Christ here's the wonderful thing that same day straight from the realms of the grave straight from the mouth of the tomb straight from the sphere of death straight from the grave Christ sought out his lost sheep And went to rescue them from what? From their own carnal human reasoning. He went to rescue them from themselves. Do you know we've all got a threefold enemy? The world, the flesh and the devil. Christian, you have it. We all have. And the old saying is, is if the world got converted and the devil dropped dead, you'd still have an enemy. Yourself. Yourself. The old saying, you're your own worst enemy, isn't far wrong. Look, I'm conscious of the time. I know time's running on. So much I want to tell you. I don't know why to do another night on this or what to do. Let me round this up here anyhow at this point. Listen to Romans 8, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what it says. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hey. First, listen to verse 7. For the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The idea here is that if we're carnally minded, we'll do carnal things. If we're spiritually minded, we'll do spiritual things. If we keep our eyes on the law of God or the scriptures, and we have them in our mind and our heart, then we will act them out in our life. We will walk out the word in our life. The Lord said it, we believe it, that settles it, let's do it. But to be carnally minded is death, it means spiritually we die, but it also brings forth death to the body. But yet to be spiritually minded is life, and it's peace. These two had went into carnal mentality. You know, the old saying is, you are what you eat. You keep eating your Indian meals. I love Indian food. You keep eating your burgers. and I like burgers too. Your Chinese. Richard's not here tonight. He loves his Chinese. I think Richard owns shares in the Chinese. Keep eating your cakes. <laughs> I love cakes as well. <laughs> Have a sweet tooth. You keep eating them. Sooner or later it catches up on you. You are what you eat. Do you know, Christian, you are what you take in? Do you see if you're always watching the, that old, I'm going there, all the stuff on TV, all the nonsense. That's what's, television is indoctrinating the whole world. It's indoctrinating your mind to believe 
that homosexuality and its full practices and gay marriage is okay. It's natural. It's not. But now, you see, it's indoctrinating everybody's mind. It's indoctrinating people with advertisements that alcoholism is okay. Keep drinking the cheap alcohol. That partying and, and all those things that come with it, with uh, immorality and, and, and loose living in the sexual context. And it's all okay. And, and, and it's all right for everybody to get on whatever way they want and be their own God. And that's indoctrinating people. So you are what you're taking in. You start to believe it. The word of God becomes of none effect. And the word of God gets shifted further and further to the side. And God's house gets shifted further and further to the side. And soon you start following that which you've been indoctrinated with. That's the world we're living in. But the scriptures, that's different. The world is carnal, death. The scriptures is life. I don't know what you're like in secular work. When I was in secular work, before I, before I was a pastor, I'm a, my ordination was 11 years ago this year. I see Philip Proctor down there with Heather's wife. and they, Philip used to go up and down to Dublin with me as well. Quite a few times, Philip. And I'd have worked in a shop and I worked extra hours to take hours off to get down to Dublin on a Tuesday being out Monday, Wednesday, Friday at my, at my meetings during the week, twice on a Sunday, Sunday school in between it, and then I worked extra so I could get down to Dublin every Tuesday and drive back up after midnight and back to work again. That was the lie. See, when I was in work environment, see, after a while, my mind became polluted. And all the negativity came and the carnality came. And when that carnality came in, I, I just couldn't wait to get into the Word of God. Once I started reading the word, Paul calls it washing by the water of the word of God. My mind started feeling pure. My strength started coming back in the spirit. I started rejoicing in God again. And I started walking and leaping and praising God like the man at the beautiful gate. The word of God, spiritually minded, is life and peace. These two have moved into carnality. And moved into deadness. Starting to walk into death. And see, as a pastor and as a preacher, I see many, sad to say, Christians who are once in fire for God and they're starting to walk to their own mess. Carnal minded, leaving the things of God behind, they're walking into death. The wonderful, beautiful thing about it is this. We're told Jesus himself drew near. My prayer is, Lord, rescue us. Rescue us from ourselves. Rescue us from our own carnality. Teach us to feed on the spiritual things of God. They, in verse 14, they talked together of all these things which had happened. Verse 15 says, they communed together and reasoned. And we're told when Christ comes along, he says, why are you looking sad? In other words, your face tells the tale. Brothers and sisters, and I'm saying this this evening because as far as I know, looking around, we're all believers. So I'm speaking more to believers. This is what I want to show you here. When you get close to people, when you start to talk to them who proclaim Christ as Savior, you had a witness in your heart where they are. You can nearly get a witness in your heart how they talk to him today. 
I've even spoken to him last week. Are they carnally minded? Or are they full of life and peace of God? See, out of the abundance of the heart, you are what you eat, you are what you take in, you are what you read, you are where you worship. Eyes our hearts before him. And if your heart is weak, rejoice this evening that he is here. And he's here to bless you, to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to heal you. The Lord's will will start here next week. I was going to do two weeks of this, but I got carried off away as usual. And here's where we'll start, verse 25. Luke 24, verse 25. Then said he unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe. Notice their heart here. Notice their heart. He's not condemning them. He's encouraging them. But you know what he does? He shows them where they are at that time. Do you know the most dangerous thing to happen to a Christian is when they do not realize where they are at that time. It's like Samson and Delilah would do tam up and do different things and shout for the Philistines to come and the Philistines would come and shout, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon thee and he would... He would break himself free because the, the anointing of God was on him and he, he, he would beat up the Philistines and they couldn't capture him. And he'd done it time and time and time again until one time when she cuts off his hair, which was the covenant between him and God. She shouts, Samson, the Philistines are upon thee. And he gets up, we're, says, we're told, he shakes himself to waken himself and he gets up as usual he wist not that the Lord was not with him. The anointing was gone. He didn't realize where he was. The Lord says, oh fools, and slow of heart to believe. The actual idea here is, he says, you have allowed your heart to become dumbed. That's what it reads. You have allowed your heart to become dumbed. Dumb by circumstances. Dumb by things that have happened. Dumb by disappointments. He says, you've allowed yourself to become dumb. And you haven't taken the food. The whole counsel of God. They didn't read all the scriptures concerning him. What does that mean? I'll tell you next week. I'll tell you next week. 